Our story starts, it's a, it's a dark night. They're in the second story dining room together. They're a long way from home. Normally, they'd be celebrating this day with their families because it's the biggest holiday of the year. But this year, they traveled together to this place outside the city that's packed, is going to sleep. Inside, they've had an amazing dinner, several glasses of wine, and they're getting sleepy. If you're there, you could see the smoke-filled room, the soft lights. It's been a week of danger, but it's also been a week of destiny, and they can't wait for what's coming next. They're excited, and they're looking to their leader for a word because the future is unclear. They just know something big is coming. And all of a sudden, he stands up, and he walks across the room, and he does something that they will never forget the rest of their lives. It's a memory that's indelibly etched on their minds to the day they die. And today, we're continuing a series that we've been in since the beginning of the year. It's called Epic, and for those of you who are brand new, special welcome. Um, this series is based on a letter that was written from one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is the Apostle Paul. He's writing it to a group of Jesus followers about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. They're centered in a metropolitan area called Ephesus, major city, quarter of a million people, and uh, a major Roman province that's modern-day Turkey. And this letter... Paul is laying out for them, uh, here is God's vision, epic vision for all of creation. And he says, uh, this is a story that you became a part of. When you became a follower of Jesus, uh, you find out that you're actually chosen to be a follower of Jesus before time began. And not only were you chosen to be uh, forgiven and adopted, you've been chosen to be gifted by his spirit to play an important role in this vision of bringing all of creation healed and restored back under leadership of his true king. And so in the second half of the letter, Paul begins to say, now how does that vision, that epic vision God has, work out in our everyday lives? And how do he starts to get really practical? So the last few weeks, we've been in a section of this letter that starts in chapter 5, verse 15, goes through chapter 5, verse 21. It's just seven verses, but in this section, Paul lays out six topics of here's what it looks like to live out this epic vision and experience the will of God, this new will of God for your lives. And today we come to the sixth and final topic. And the topic on the table today is submission. Aren't you glad you came? It's like, <laughs> see, what's happening at Shepherd today? Is it too late? Take it over. Uh, and we're going to talk about this, but uh, in our culture today, not necessarily a positive word, but what Paul's going to say is if you're following Jesus, if you're drinking deeply of his spirit, we've been talking about the last few weeks, that one of the signs that you'll be growing in your love for others, and, and that love will lead you to put their needs and interests above your own and to serve them well, kind of submit your needs and interests to theirs. You're living a lifestyle of submission. And so there in your note sheet, we have a section that's called uh, drinking, deep, uh, drinking Deeply, Submitting to One Another. And what I want to do is walk you through this passage. Uh, it's our last week in this passage. Next week, we'll start a new kind of next passage, which deals with marriage. We're going to have a couple weeks called Epic Marriage. Uh, and so um, 
But today we're going to wrap up this section. So we're going to, let's we're going to pick it up at chapter 5, verse 15. So if you've got your Bibles, open up, get your apps, turn them on. So 5.15, uh, we'll run through it rapidly. We've done this several times. He says, be very careful then how you live. Uh, you know, you're followers of Jesus. Now, epic vision, but this is, there's a lot of danger out there. So be careful how you live. Don't be unwise. Be wise. Make the most of every opportunity. The days are evil. A lot of danger. Verse 17, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. We talked about that. God has a generic will for our life, a specific will. Understand what that is. Press into it. And he starts to give us some specifics. He says, don't be drunk on wine. Lord, don't come under the influence of any foreign uh, substances because uh, it, it, they, you won't be able to make wise decisions. Yet. And he says that leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. We've used the, the terminology, drink deeply of the Spirit. And he says, uh, if you do that, uh, here's the kinds of things that will be manifest in your life. And he goes on to give us three examples. He says, one of the things that happen is when you're drinking deeply of the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, following the Spirit, you're going to grow in your relationship with God. You're going to experience his love uh, and power, his power in your life, and that's going to lead to a life of worship. Okay, so worship is one thing that happens. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Second thing he says that happen is that as you're pressing into God, listening to the Holy Spirit, following him, uh, you're going to get a clearer and clearer view of what God has done for you in Christ, what it means to be part of this vision, and that's naturally going to lead to a life of thanksgiving. And so this attitude of gratitude, and Dre covered that last week, the third thing he says today is going to happen, third and final thing, is that it, as you're drinking deeply of the Spirit, you're going to grow in your love for others, and so you're going to be learning to put their needs and interests above your own, and you're going to be submitting to one another. Now, the way Paul gets at this is he gives us one command, which is be filled with the Spirit, and then he gives us five participles, and we've talked about this a couple weeks ago, five participles to help us understand what it looks like when you're filled with the Spirit. And so, uh, remember we talked about this, participles of verb form. Um, a present participle in English are the I-N-G words, you know, running, jumping, hopping, killing. Um, and, uh, and, and so, he's going to have five participles that help us understand what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. First three deal with worship. Now, in the English, a little harder to follow because in our New International Version, they, they mess with the participles a little bit, just to make it easier in English. But we're going to walk through, okay? So the command comes in verse, in the verse 18 to be filled with the Spirit. That's the charge. Drink deeply. And now here comes the participle. So the first one, speaking. There's an I-N-G. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Then you have sing. But in the Greek, it's singing and make music. Making music. Third, okay, third, third participle. Uh, making music. Uh, two, from your heart to the Lord. Then we have the fourth participle. Last week, always giving thanks to the Lord, right? Now we jump to verse 21, which in the NIV, they start a whole new section, but in the Greek, it just continues on one sentence. The fifth participle in Greek is the one there in verse 21, submitting to one another in the, at a reference, uh, a reverence for Christ. So he says, one of the marks that a person is drinking deeply of the Spirit, being transformed, led by the Spirit, is they're growing in worship, uh, they are growing in gratitude, and they are growing in love for others, submitting to one another. Okay, so that's the, the thought. Now, here's what I want to do. In the time that we have today, I want to talk about this concept of submission. It's a really important one, uh, but it's one often misunderstood in our culture. And it's really important because this sets us up for the next three weeks of teaching, three or four weeks of teaching, where Paul's building off of this concept, right? So there in your note sheet, you have a section 
that's called Drinking Deeply, Submission 101. So today we're going to talk about what submission, what it is, what it isn't, uh, and why it's so important. So here we go. Number one, the first thing that jumps out at me in this passage is that Paul says submission is a good thing. Now, this kind of comes as a surprise because honestly, I think when you came in today, if you're looking at the topic on the table, on the program, submission, my guess is you're not going like, oh, I've always wanted to hear about this. This is just great. It's like the second coming and submission, two top things. If you could just explain when Jesus is coming back and explain submission, I, I'm in. I, I'm there. So, so when we hear the word submission in our culture today, it's often a negative word, right? It's like you think of doormat. You think of loser. You think of oppression. You think of domination. You think of mixed martial arts, of tapping out, you know, <laughs> losing, um, right? So, uh, so, so this is not like seen as a good thing. It's seen for the weak people, the incompetent people, the people that don't have a sense of self or sense of self-strength uh, that uh, kind of, uh, kind of uh, wimps, you know. It's kind of that, that kind of language. So when you hear this in English and you hear it from us like submitting, it's like, uh, that doesn't sound very appealing, right? But here's what I want you to catch. Paul is coming at this from a totally different angle. He says, listen, one of the signs that you're drinking deeply of the Spirit, one of the signs that you have entered in the school of Jesus, one of the signs that you're being transformed is that you're growing in your submission to one another. And so obviously it's a good thing. Now, so we need to talk about this, this term, what it means, and I would encourage you just because we're going to be coming back to this in the next few weeks, I want to encourage you, I'm going to give you the Greek term, I want to encourage you to write it down. Some of you do that naturally, some of you don't, but I encourage you just to give you visualize, this to help, I want to make sure you understand the term. The word for submission in Greek is the word hupotasso, and it's made from two words, so the first word, just put them together, first word is hupo, uh, H-U-P-O, and second word is tasso, T-A-S-S-O. Now, if you got those together, we're going to draw a line between the O and the T, like we're, you know, splitting the syllables or something. And uh, so the first word, hupo, means under. The second word, tasso, means to organize or to put in order, right? So to hupo tasso means to organize something, but in a sense of hierarchy, uh, to what, what goes underneath the other. So, for example, in the ancient world, uh, uh, in the ancient world, uh, this hupotasso was often used to describe military, right? So how many of you have served in our armed forces? Can you see your hands? Okay, great. Uh, how many of you know someone in your family served in the armed forces? Okay, great. How many of you have ever seen a war movie? Okay, great. Okay, pretty much got it. All right. Uh, so um, if you know anything about the military, you know one of the most important things in an effective military is to have a great chain of command, right? You can't be effective everyone doing their own thing. You need to know who's in charge, who report to, so successful military, hupotasso, ordering under, who's the generals, who's the colonels, who's the majors, who's the captains and, you know, lieutenants and so on, who reports to whom, right? It's, a, it's important. Um, I think in modern day terms, org charts. Chances are where you work, uh, there is an org chart. And uh, it shows who reports to whom, who's responsible for what. Uh, and it's very important. It's organized. We know who to look to for leadership, who's following, uh, what your responsibilities are. And so here's what I want you to catch. Hupotasso, in general, is a word about leadership and followership. 
and who reports to whom. So it's hierarchical. It describes vertical relationships in organizations or relationships, okay? Here's what I want you to catch, though. Before Paul begins to talk about this concept of submission, which we'll be talking about in the next few weeks, he really sort of redefines the whole concept. Because I want you to catch this. Look with me at 521. 521. Remember, in the Greek, it's really submitting, the fifth participle. But look what it says. It says, submitting to whom? Okay, the rest of you now. Okay, 521. Let's try it again. Submitting to one another. Now, does that strike you as odd? No, thank you. Um, I love it on his voice. Uh, Hupotasso is about ordering under. It's about vertical relationships. What Paul does here is he applies it to the new community of Jesus as a horizontal action. He says, we are not to just to submit to those over us in leadership, that, that's part of our calling as followers of Jesus to live an epic life. We'll talk about the next few weeks in home and family and, and workplace. He says, but as followers of Jesus, we don't just hupotasso to those over us. We go sideways and we hupotasso to those beside us. That we submit our interests to others. We put the needs and interests of others above our own. We don't just serve those above us, we serve those beside us. And now you begin to understand why this is so important. And so, uh, so the place where we need to begin is that this is a positive word. Submission in the New Testament, this concept of loving one another, submitting to one another, put the needs and very positive core to what it means to follow Jesus. Number two, second, the second principle is that Jesus is the model. You just say, okay, so what does it look like to hupotasso? What does it look like to submit to one another? Jesus would be the ultimate model. I want to take you back today to what we learned in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Remember we learned there, he said, Paul said, if you want to be transformed, if you want to live an epic life, he said, you need to come under the leadership of King Jesus. Remember he said, enter in the school of Jesus. Let him be your rabbi. You have to be transformed your whole way of thought process. You have to put off the old, put off the new, so you can be recreated to be like God. Remember that? Here's a classic example. We have to enter in the school of Jesus. If we're going to submit to one another, what does that look like? Jesus is the model. He's the model of submission. Uh, and this is so important because if you stop and think about it, like I said, in our culture, submission is seen as for the weak. Submission is seen as something you can't, you know, if you can't, Handle something, can't handle the pressure. Someone dominates you, you can't, you're a loser, right? The, the submission is a sign of weakness. What we'll see as we look at Jesus is submission is a sign of strength. Because if you study the life of Jesus, one of the things I love, one of the things that attracts me most to Jesus is his strength in this area. Jesus to me is the most self-possessed person I have ever met. He is full of clarity and confidence in whatever situation. In fact, uh, one of the things I often pray is, Jesus, I want to have the same clarity and confidence in my life that you had in yours. I mean, I'm so drawn to this. Uh, he is fearless. Uh, when we go to Israel, 
one of the stops we make is in Nazareth. And we take up this, this cliff, which we believe may be the cliff, where when Jesus went to Nazareth, they're so mad at him that the mob took him to the top of a cliff to throw him off the cliff and kill him. And we go to this cliff that we believe may be the cliff. If not, it's very much, it's right there, and it's, it's kind of like what it would be. And, and so and we hang on the edge and take pictures. But, um, <laughs> I mean, if you read the account, this mob takes Jesus up there. They're going to throw him off the cliff. It's a mob scene. And at the end, Jesus says, okay, enough of that, and he walks through the crowd. Uh, I love it. You know, um, Jesus, not afraid to take on the religious and political authorities of the day. Call them out. You know, you're hypocrites. You're saying one thing. You're t- he, he knew they had the power to kill. He, okay, it's fine. Take them on. I love it. Jesus standing before Pilate, and Pilate says, don't you realize I have the power to kill you or set you free? And Jesus says, actually, you'd have no power unless it had been given to you by above, my father. <laughs> oh, all right. all right. Okay, so... When you think of submission, think of Jesus, the model of strength, right? But the thing is, Jesus didn't use his strength to dominate. He used his strength to serve. Uh, And he he introduces a whole new paradigm. So the New Testament builds on this. So Paul, for example, in his letter to the Philippians, Paul writes a letter. He says, hey, look, you're going through some conflict there. As you read through Philippians, you can tell there's church conflict going on. There's, 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 There's relational rub. And Paul says, hey, listen, as you come to Jesus in this new community, he says, you know what? You need to seek the interests of one another above your own. He says, and you know what? Jesus is the ultimate model of what it looks like to submit your will to others. In fact, there on your note sheet, I put this, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So the opposite of submissive spirit is a proud spirit, a conceited spirit, an ego-driven spirit. He said, but in humility, so circle that. Key to submissive spirit is humility. He said, consider others better than yourselves. Hupotasso, you're you're kind of submitting your needs and interests to theirs. He says, each of you, to catch us, should look out not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. And he says, your attitude should be that is the same of Christ Jesus. He's the model. Okay, so what kind of model was he? Well, he said, well, he was in the very nature of God. Okay, so he's the top of the food chain, right? He's in the very nature of God, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or in the Greek to held on to. Uh, as creator of the cosmos, he becomes a part of the cosmos, right? Uh, and he becomes a human being. And so Paul says he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, uh, that means us, uh, and taking on the very nature of a servant, don't miss that word, he became a servant by, by becoming a human. He, he's being made in human likeness. And then once he's found in appearance as a man, he humbles himself and becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so, he, so now he's not just a servant to us, he's going to die for us as the ultimate act of service. And what Paul says is, hey, when you're looking at how to relate to one another, Jesus is the model. And so look at, he had everything, he had all power, but he gave it all up, and he came to serve us. Now, Jesus picks up the same line in his own teaching. So I want to set this up. In Mark 10, there's a very famous passage, and I I want you to pay attention here, because it's going to be important in a a few minutes. Here's a scene. Mark 10, he and his disciples are traveling to Jerusalem. 
It's the last time he's going to go to Jerusalem. They don't know that. He's told them he's going to die. They don't buy it. They're pretty convinced by this point he is the long-promised Messiah. They're convinced he's going to go and unleash his power. And we forget this, but remember, this is power to tell the winds and waves what to do. He's going to unleash that power over nature, his power to raise the dead. He's going to unleash that power on Rome very shortly. He's going to uh, lead a rebellion against Rome, crush Rome, just like uh, in the Old Testament, you know, Moses led the nation of, of Israel out. He's going to crush Rome. Israel is going to come back to a place of international prominence. Uh, it will be a place the kingdom of God will come, and, and Jesus will be king like, uh, like King David 2.0. Right? That's what they think is going to happen. That's what they think is going to happen. So because of that, on the way there, uh, James and John, two of his top guys, pull him aside and say, hey, we've been thinking about this. We know that pretty soon you're going to be uh, kingdom's coming. And uh, you're going to need some top, uh, top guys, you know. And uh, we, we think we're, we're it. We, you know, we've, we pretty much look. We know we're the leaders. You know, you picked us to be 12. And we've looked. We think we're the best of the lot. And so um, we think you should pick us. And I'll be on your right. He'll be on your left. And we'll be your top guys. And uh, we'll help you lead. And I think good for you, good for us. And so what do you think? And, uh, and so the other 10 get wind of this. And they're like, are you serious? And they're like all ticked off because they didn't think of it first. And so... Um, <laughs> And so this leads to a teaching session, right? And Jesus sits them down and catches. He says, listen, I, I know you want to accomplish something great in your life. I know you want to be great, and that's awesome. He says, that's why I've come, you know, to help you be great. I mean, live epic life. That's what we're talking about. He says, but you have to do it the right way. And he says, if you truly want to be great, he says, the, the path to greatness leads through the door of service, not through the door of self. And so he affirms their desire to do something big in their lives, but he redefines the path. And so this is what he says. In Mark 10, he says, Jesus called them together, and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, remember they're, they're ruled by the Romans, Herod, and so on, and so they know this, they live with this rule in their life. He says, you know that they, uh, they lord it over them. They, they love bossing people around. Uh, for them, leadership is all about the power, the perks, the position. And he says, that's, that's why people want to be leaders. He said, they're high officials. They exercise authority over them. He says, but catch this next line. He says, not so with what? Not so with you. He says, hey, yes, I'm bringing a kingdom, um, but there's a whole different approach. We're, we're going to lead. Yes, you're the leaders. I've chosen you, but it's not going to be that. You're not going to be lording it over people. That's not what it's about. And he says, instead, whoever wants to become great, so he says, you want to become great, that's a good thing. Whoever wants to be great uh, must become your servant. Now, we are way too used to this. This would be like saying to a guy that's just graduated from Harvard MBA, hey, the way to be great is to be a bellboy. In my kingdom, you want to be great? Yeah, okay. Uh, you need to find an entry-level position in the mailroom. That's the path, right? Um, and they're like, huh? Uh, and then it gets worse. Uh, he says, yeah, in fact, whoever wants to be first, you want me to be head of the class? You want to be first? You must be the slave of all. Oh, not sounding like what I thought. Um, and then he says, and he, get, he says, for even the Son of Man, talking about himself, 
did not come to be served. Remember what you saw being in the form of God, became a servant? He says, even the Son of God, man, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as the ultimate service. So, so just, hey, I love you, want to be great. I love you, want to be happy. I love you, want to be fulfilled. You think this is it, corner office, you know, free lunch room, head of the thing, stock options. I get all that, right? Says, but the path to greatness leads not through looking out for self, but looking out for others. He's completely redefining um, what it means to be a follower, right? And this is very hard for us, very, very counterintuitive. But he goes on to the third principle. The third principle is that what Jesus will go on to teach him is that submission leads to life. Now, this is very counterintuitive. I want to introduce you to a word. It's a Jewish word. I mean, we have it in English, but it's a Jewish word. And for Jews and Jewish culture of the time, this is the ultimate goal in life. Like for us, we would use the word today, the, the best equivalent I could think of in English is fulfillment. Like if I said, how many of you want to be happy, we would all raise our hand, right? How many want to be fulfilled? Like I don't, I, there's probably no one here. My goal in life is to be miserable. That's it. And I, I'm, I'm on track. Um, <laughs> I, the, all my family, friends, I'll agree. Um, I'm, I'm on track. My goal, I mean, who's here is like, uh, your goal is to be unhappy. That's me. No, we all want to be happy. We're all looking for meaning in life. We're all looking for purpose. We're all looking to say, hey, what makes life worth? I want to live life to the full, right? Every one of us, it's natural. It's, it's just like human, right? And so that in, that in American, that in English, that concept of fulfillment, this in, in Jewish culture is what that means. And it's the word blessed. See, for us, like, we don't use that word, except, like, God bless you when someone sneezes, right? Uh, I, I don't, you know, we don't use it a whole lot, you know, other times. I'm not sure why we sneeze, but, you know, like you fall down. God bless you. You know, I mean, we, don't, we don't say that. Uh, <laughs> accident. God bless you. And you sneeze. But anyway, uh, we don't use that word a lot. But uh, in Jewish culture, this is the way, this is the ultimate goal. This is why, like in Psalm 1, the whole book of Psalms, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the evil, sit down with scoffers, stand with sinners, but walks in the way of, of, the, of the law of the Lord. Why does Psalm start like that? Blessed is it? Because this is the goal of life, to find the path of blessing. Why does Jesus start the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes? Blessed, blessed, blessed. Blessed eight times because this is the goal of Jewish culture. It's their way of saying this is life to the full. All I'm saying here is what Jesus teaches us and teaches his men is that the path to the blessed life comes through submission. Extremely counterintuitive, isn't it? Because we are born thinking that the path to fulfillment leads through serving ourselves. I, mean, we got, you know, I got a nine-month-old, seven-month-old, eight-month-old, something like that, grandchild, right? And I, 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 it's in that region. Um, I, um, you know, I prayed she wouldn't have a sin nature, you know, immaculate conception, but it didn't happen, right? And if you know, when you have kids, you know this, right? I mean, kids are self-absorbed from the very beginning. And it's like, feed me. 
hold me. They don't ask, like, are you busy? <laughs> They're like, hey, mom, you know, got something going on? Uh, dinner, maybe, or something? I've had a hard day. I'll just lay here and be wet for a while. They don't really, like, <laughs> I got to uh, this is about me, right? This is about me. And, and then as they grow up, I used to tell my wife when our kids were young, she, they're so sweet. I'd say, don't forget, they have a sin nature. It's like it's going to come, right? It's like I don't want you to be shocked when it comes, you know? It's like, oh, how could they do that? It's like the Bible tells it. You know, it's like this is who we are. So um, we come out, and this is our natural default operating system. This is our Windows 10. This is iOS whatever. Uh, this is our default operating system. We are born, and the way we are programmed is look out for number one. And so we will naturally lie, steal, cheat, manipulate. That's what comes naturally to us, to look out for number one. Because we believe that if we look out for number one, it's our best shot at being blessed. And Jesus walks into our life and said, hey, you guys, uh, another time for a classroom. Here, let's enter the school of Jesus. Let's sit down here. Hey, the path of greatness leads to the door of service. And it's really counterintuitive. Doesn't make any sense. Trust me. I want you to think about this. We started the day with this story of um, these, these men uh, in a you know, second-story dining room, long way from home, national celebration, smoke-filled room, dark outside, big dinner, uh, had some glasses of wine, getting sleeper. Leader, leader stands up, right? Some of you will have recognized that, right? It comes from Batman. No, just kidding. Uh, no, I just thought I'd be Dre for a week. Um, it's all this theology from the cartoons. Anyway, uh, no, just kidding. Just kidding, Dre. It's just kidding. I love you. Um, if you see this, I really do. Uh, now, uh, a lot of you recognize that scene. It's a scene from the Gospel of John, chapter 13. So I want to take you back to Mark 10. Remember where I let, we left off, Mark 10. Going to Jerusalem, uh, last time. Think that when they get there, he's taking over, blowing the place out, bringing in the kingdom of God, unleashing power. Nothing at this point in John 13 has changed their mind. Uh, all week long. Uh, starts week, starts on a Sunday with him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, palm branches, which was a sign of rebellion against Rome and the Maccabean revolt uh, 150 years earlier when they kicked out Syria. They minted coins in Israel with palms on them. This is a political, that, that thing, Hosanna, Lord save, this is a political rally. It's a religious slash political rally saying, save us from Rome. And so that's how the week started. They've had major conflict with the religious leaders all week long. Tensions in the air. Destiny's in the air. They think this thing's about to come down. Nothing has changed their mind. It's Passover. Passover is their 4th of July. Passover is when the most important national holiday of the year. Passover is when they look back to when God supernaturally delivered them from their oppressors in Egypt. It's a time when they look forward to when the coming of the Messiah will come, who will set them free from Rome. It's a time of huge nationalism. Rebellions in the air. Roman troops come into Jerusalem during Passover. Extra troops because rebellion is in the streets. 
It's why Pilate is in town. He doesn't normally stay in Jerusalem. He normally stays in Caesarea, 90 miles away, where his palace is. He is in town because it is revolution time and forces on high alert. And in that upstairs room, these men far from home, they are around what they consider to be their king, lord, leader, rabbi, who's going to lead the revolution. They are ready for it to break loose any day. They are still arguing, Luke tells us, who is the greatest, figuring what will be, uh, who will be, uh, who, who will take the top cabinet positions in the new administration. That's their mindset. They've had a big lamb chop dinner. They've had three glasses of wine, Merlot. <laughs> That's what I'd have. And they're sleepy. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets up and he does the unthinkable. And it's very hard for us to understand this because we are not a very hierarchical culture. We don't have a lot of social rules left. But think like going to maybe a Japanese or an Asian culture where there's a lot of protocol about who does what, who they win. In their culture, one of the lowest jobs on the totem pole was washing feet. You come in dusty, you have to wash your feet. No Jewish man would ever wash the feet of another Jewish man. Even Jewish slaves were not required to do it. It was considered too humiliating. Rabbis could ask their disciples to do just about anything, and they're required to obey. But the, 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 the rabbis wrote specifically that no rabbi could require his disciples to wash his feet. It was too humiliating. Women and children sometimes will be asked to do this no free man would wash the, free, uh, the feet of another free man. That's a scene. And so in the middle of dinner, Jesus, their leader, their king. Remember, Lord is like Caesar is Lord. Their Lord, their king, their Messiah, they think is about to blow out the Romans. He gets up. He strips down like a servant. It's getting very awkward in here. If I just stood up and started taking off my clothes right now, you're like, where is this going? Right? And we hope you stop soon. He gets up, starts taking off his clothes. Every eye's on him. He goes over to the corner. He picks up the, the bowl of water. He gets this huge towel, wraps it around his waist. He comes back, and he does the unthinkable. These men are reclining at the table, feet back, heads forward, you know, leaning on the right arm. They've been eating. He begins to wash their feet. This is so awkward. Have you ever been in a really awkward moment in your life? Like when you say something or do something and someone else or someone else says something or does, it's just so awkward. Like, oh, that was awkward. And you're just like, uh, I see, okay, well, okay, see you. I, so, I just want to get away. Usually it doesn't last very long. I want you to picture this. This is going on for a half an hour. They don't have any Bose speakers playing Passover music in the background. <laughs> it's dead silence. You've got the clay, the clay lamps burning, light, you know, the warm light. You've got smoke-filled room. And it's dead silence. And there leader, their king, 
is doing what no Jewish man would ever do to any Jewish man. Washing feet. And it just goes on and on. I mean, think, there's 11 guys, that's 22 feet. (laughs) Even at one minute a foot, which is moving fast. That's 22 minutes. Are, Are you with me here? It is dead silent. All you can hear is the sound of water dripping and a towel lightly wiping off the feet. It is so awkward when it gets to Peter. Peter says, this is not happening. I'm not letting you do this. This is, this is inappropriate. It's wrong. I'm calling you out. You always have these crazy ideas. <laughs> I'm going to go die. And it's like... Pulled you aside last time. Knock it off. It's like you're a leader. So act like a leader. This is ridiculous. You're going to lose the respect to these guys. Who's going to follow you? And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part of what I'm doing. That's the only thing that's said for 22, 30 minutes. The rebuke of Peter. And Jesus is going slowly around the room one by one, one foot after another, and it is so awkward. Peter is begging this to be over. It's like a horrible movie. Just end it. Just stop this. And he gets done. He picks up the bowl, walks back to the corner, puts it down, comes back, puts his clothes back on, sits down. That's where we're picking up the story. In John 13, it says, when he finished washing their feet, he put his clothes back on and he returns to his place on the table. And he asks us some questions. Do you understand what I've done for you? And I can guarantee the answer is, we don't have a clue. What just happened here? And he said, you call me teacher, rabbi. You call me rabbi. You call me Lord, king. So you call me rabbi. You call me king. And rightly so, that's what I am. But if I, your king, your rabbi, if I've washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Like, oh no. Oh no. That was horrible. Uh, I don't want to be part of, like, no. No, no, no. no that we don't, that's not what we do. Remember that corner office thing? That's what we do. And he said, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you, the model. He said, I tell you the truth. Hey, no servant is greater than his master. What's he saying? Um, How can you refuse to wash each other's feet because you're too good for it when your king has just washed your feet? If it's not too good for me to wash your feet, it can't be too good for you to wash your feet. You see, he's redefining. We are rethinking uh, the path of greatness. And then here's, here's the, the bottom line that we're leading up to. Now, if you know these things, you will be what? Blessed if you do them. Jesus says the path to greatness, the path to the head of the class, the path to true fulfillment in life is completely different than we all naturally think. 
that it leads through the door of service. It leads through the door of putting the needs and interests of others above our own. And he says, this is what will lead you to, to fulfillment. And he said, and what he's saying is that, you see, this is the first time he washed their feet, but what he's helping them understand, this is what he's been doing every day of their lives since they met them. That his life has been a life of service. His teaching has been a life of service. His rebuking has been a life of service. His encouraging. Jesus has been walking beside them with a towel around his waist since the first day they met. They just haven't realized it. And tomorrow, he's going to go out and be crucified with a towel around his waist as the ultimate act of service. And so go back to Ephesians 5.21. What what does Paul say? Submit to one another out of reverence, or in the Greek fear, out of reverence for Christ. What is he saying? He's saying, Jesus, when we come to live this epic life, Jesus came to you. Jesus came to me. He came with a towel around his waist. He went to a cross with a towel around his waist. He's been washing your feet since day one. He's washed your feet and your feet, and my feet, and your feet, and he washes them every day. He walks in our midst as the one with the towel around his waist, and every day he loves us and washes our feet, and he says, if you're going to follow me, I want you to wash one another's feet. He says, I want you to submit to one another in the reverence fear of Christ. In other words, Jesus is there washing this person's feet right next to you. I want you, out of reverence for Christ and your king, to follow his example and shepherd and wash and serve one another. And so the question is then, how are we doing in this area? We've talked the last couple weeks about worship. We've talked about Thanksgiving. But I want to do some evaluation. And there in your note sheet, I put a section that's called Drinking Deeply, How Are You Doing?, this is a place for some self-evaluation. Are you drinking deeply the Spirit? Are you entering into the school of Jesus? Are you growing in this area of your life? And I want to ask you three questions, and they're like three separate questions, but they're all closely related. So there on your note sheet on the back, I put a triangle at the bottom to illustrate this. These are three separate questions, but they all are like the same question, just coming out from a different angle. So in the middle of the triangle, I want you to write the word submission. All right, And then we're going to say, how are we doing in this area? By asking three questions, each overlapping, but helping us to come at this a little bit. And so my goal in doing this was to say, if I were to ask you, hey, do you put the needs and interests above uh, others? Are, are, you living, are you submitting to others? I think chances are, most would say, well, yeah, I'm pretty good at that. I remember I helped a person about five years ago one time. And I, you know, um, sure, you know, it's like, uh, you know, my neighbor's cack at Sutton Tree. I help him get down and... So, you know, sometimes we're not the best at self-evaluation. And so I wanted to come up with some kind of modern practical questions that would help us uh, measure this a little bit. And I think these would be helpful, right? So here's the first question. They're going to go quickly, but we're gonna, they'll be helpful. Number one is, how high maintenance are you? I love the 11 o'clock service. You actually laugh out loud. The 9 o'clock people, they laugh in their, in their brains. Um, <laughs> And they have like three o'clock, they're designated laughers, just so I know everyone else is laughing, just inside. Um, But um, yeah, this is a funny question, but it's a great question because in our culture today, we know what a high maintenance person is, right? A high maintenance person is like, they just take a lot of care to keep them happy, right? And so 
So you have to be very careful what you say and what you do and make sure you invite them to this and don't offend them in any way. They're just kind of high maintenance. And so I think one way to look at this is that one of the marks of a submissive person is they're not high maintenance. A submissive person, catch this, is easy to live with and easy to work with. I don't mean they don't have high standards in their job or their leadership. They may be very high standards, but there's, there's something about them that um, they're, they're easy to live with. They're not like hard to please. Um, that there's a, a flexibility about them. Um, let me give you some like, examples. Like they don't have to have their own way. Like a submissive person doesn't have to choose where we go to dinner every time. Right? Uh, a submissive person um, doesn't have to be right about everything. A submissive person is, is quick to admit if they're wrong. If they get something wrong, it's, not, it's easy to admit. Um, a, uh, a submissive person is not entitled. A submissive person uh, is quick to jump in and help. And a, quick, uh, a submissive person always carries their own load. Like you have to pick up after them all the time. You, you don't have to remind them to do what they do all the time. They value others. And so they, they serve others. They're not the person that's always like letting you down or, or not kind of doing anything. A submissive person um, doesn't take the big piece. Um, a submissive person doesn't have to get all the credit for everything. Right? High maintenance people, they always they need to get credit for everything. If they never don't get credit for something they did, well, that's a big problem, you know. Well, I'm not gonna do all the work around here. Uh, um, a submissive person doesn't have a big ego. Um, a submissive person, um, they don't use others, uh, they, they serve others. On the opposite side, like um, a high maintenance person, a, a non-submissive person, high drama. They're a drama person. There's always drama. There's always something wrong, something big going on. So don't let them down. And so they're just not easy to be with. And so the question I have is how, how high maintenance are you? And for all three of these questions, I want to ask you um, to evaluate yourself by how, what would those closest to you in your life say about you? I don't really care what you say about you. Oh, no, I'm not high maintenance. I'm just special. Um, I have high standards. Um, but would those who are closest to you live with you, um, work with you, our ministry, would they say you're high maintenance? If so, it's a sign that we're not drinking deeply of the Spirit. It's a sign we have not gone deep into the school of Jesus. We're a beginner. Um, we're not being transformed. We're still like self instead of like serving. Right? Second question. How easily are you offended? Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> you know, some people are just so easily offended, right? I can't believe they didn't invite me to that party. They invited her. They didn't invite me, you know. Did you see the way she looked at me? Right? I don't think she likes my shoes. Uh, do you, you know... Uh, just like, oh, I can't believe he said that. Like, what's wrong with him? You know, it's just like, easily offended. And here's the reason why. The person that's easily offended has a big view of themselves. 
Like, for example, if you went to have dinner with the president at the White House, just you and Brock, and, uh, and so you're there, and you got your Coke, and you spill it, and it goes all over the president. Um, you're going to think, this is a big deal, right? You're going to be I can't believe it. I spilled on the president. Some of you probably say, that's no big deal. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you should be saying it's a big deal, right? So uh, you spill on the president, right? It's like, it's a big deal. You're going to tell all your friends, I can't, it's so embarrassing, I was there with the president, just the two of us. It was such an honor. And I spilled my drink all over him. He had to go change his clothes. I was like, I thought I was going to die. Okay, now, if you're at home, you spill your Coke on your kid. <laughs> like, hey, could you get the mop and clean that up? <laughs> Same thing, right? Same thing, but it depends on who you do it to. And for the non-submissive person, it's like they're easily offended because you just, it may not seem like a big thing, but you just did it to the center of the universe. <laughs> Me. <laughs> and so easily offended and uh, get our nose out of joint. It's always a sign of a non-submissive spirit. It's an arrogant, proud narcissistic, center of the universe spirit. Third question. How quick are you to forgive? People that are not submissive, not only do they get offended easily, they hold on to grudges. And the reason is, is because, again, they see this is a big deal. You offended me. And I would love to let you off, but you need to feel some pain. Because <laughs> this can never happen again. And you need to understand the seriousness of what you've done. Because you did it to me. Right? And so when you meet a non-submissive person, they are very slow to forgive. They they're going to hold on to that grudge because their sense of self is so big. It just magnifies the offense. It makes it hard to let it go. On the other side, submissive people, it's hard to offend them, and they let things go easily because their whole view of themselves is small. Not in the bad sense. It's just they look at others as more important than themselves. And so it's like, hey, I've let people down. I've done things. Sure, they didn't mean it. It's not what they did. Yeah, they did that, and they hurt me, but I've done things too. I receive forgiveness. So their view of themselves is small. Their view of God is big. And their view of others is big. And so what happened is just so much easier to forgive. And so these are three great questions. And what Paul says is if, if you want to be living large, epic life, if you are drinking deeply of the Spirit, he says you're going to be growing in your love for others in such a way that you truly care about them. You put their needs and interests above yourself. You're not self-focused. You're others-focused. And in that, you're going to find joy. Because this is who you're designed to be. You're designed to be like the God who put on a towel and came to serve us. This is who God is. This is who we're designed to be. And until we're there, we will never be fulfilled. This is the path to joy. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, as we bring this part of the series uh, to a close, we, we've, just, we've talked about 
what does it look like to experience your will, this epic will in our lives? And we've talked about living wisely, choosing wisely, making the most of our time. We've talked about uh, coming under the influence only of your spirit. We've talked about growing in worship and thanksgiving. And now we come today at the very end to talk about growing in our love for others. We're truly putting their needs and interests. We'll create this community of Jesus. We're living out. We're going through and picking up a, a servant's towel. We're washing each other's feet. And as we all wash each other's feet, this community of love and service and beauty emerges. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be helping us to evaluate our own life and to be growing deeply in this. We pray that as we come this last week of this part of this series, that you would teach us to surrender to the leadership of your Holy Spirit, that we could truly be transformed and become like you. And so, God, as we bring you our worship or we bring your offering now, we pray and meet us as we worship you in Christ's name. Amen. And God, as we come today to the end of this section of Ephesians, that is our prayer, that we want to know you more. We want to live out your epic will. We want to choose wisely and not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. We want to drink deeply of your spirit, growing in worship, a life of thanksgiving, growing in our love and service to one another, creating this new community of Jesus. And so, God, we pray today that as we come, that we would be truly submitting, hupotasso, to your leadership first, because we know that's where it begins. So we surrender to you and the leading of your spirit. We can never surrender to one another, submit to one another. And so we pray you'd release your spirit in new ways in our church as we move in this new era. And we just pray that you'd be with us every step of the way. We pray that this week would be a week of growth, a week of maturity, a, great, a week of listening and following and healing and instruction and all the things that we need. We pray you'd guide us into this new land, this new calling you have. We pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.